one of the best ways to plan for inflation is to make sure that we do have stocks in that growth bucket in our portfolio, because that's going to be our best inflation hedge. Making sure we understand that planning is not like a one-time event. We can use softwares, we can put in all these assumptions, but the next day after we put the assumptions in, they're all wrong. So a one and done plan isn't really going to help anybody long-term. So we want to make sure we have a plan for ongoing updates. Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry, a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there through retirement planning education, resources, and expert interviews. Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it, and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I'm Joe Curry with my co-host, as always, Lindsay Wilson. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good, Joe. I want you to tell our viewers and listeners about the hat you're wearing. Yeah, okay, thanks. I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I have my uh, Quartha Trisport hat on. So last weekend, our team was in the Quartha Trisport, which is a combination of hockey, baseball, and golf. So we had a lot of great athletes from the area participating in that to raise money for local charities. And uh, anyway, our team won. So I've been in it a few times now. This is my first win. So it was pretty exciting. Also because, you know, we're getting up there as some of the older guys in the tournament nowadays. So it was fun to be able to still take that throne with the crown. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the win. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Anything uh, new or exciting uh, with you, Lindsay, before we get going? Oh, you know, as I think I mentioned in some previous episodes, just getting ready for the fall client reviews. So um, that's always fun and getting all the treats and the fun lined up, uh, drinks and we serve fancy coffees. And so getting ready for that. And I love that you think that's exciting stuff. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's like party planning. It's fun. Perfect. So I thought today was a topic that you had brought forward, Joe, that something we could touch upon is sequence of inflation risk. In the past, and people who have been listening for a while will remember, we've talked about sequence of returns risk, but we wanted to talk about a much more uncommon topic in sequence of inflation risk. Joe, you recently saw an article from the Michael Kitsis blog on this topic. Do you want to sort of give us an overview of that? Yeah, sure. So this is something that almost nobody ever talks about. So I saw this article, I really found it intriguing. So I dove right in and think it's something we're talking about. So We talked about sequence of return risk being the order that returns come. So we have, uh, you know, our investments and we might expect to get a specific return over time, which would be a guess. We're never going to get that right. But the problem with just putting a specific return in our projections is that those returns come in different orders. So we might average 7% through 30 years of retirement, but we might get a few really bad years. So, we know, retired right before the dot-com crash and 9-11, you know, we had a few bad years of returns before we got back into good returns to average it all out, right? But sequence of inflation or just inflation in general is kind of the same idea is, you know, we look back over a pretty long period of time, we could say that, you know, inflation is about 3% per year on average. And basically the way that people plan for inflation is that's what they do. They just kind of pick the long-term average. For example, Financial Planning Canada, they have 
their estimates, which I think they have at 2.1% right now. At the end of the day, we're picking a static inflation to use throughout our planning horizon. But the reality is that that's not how it actually works because we have some periods of high inflation, some periods of low inflation. And when that shows up, it matters. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what the sequence of inflation is. But I thought before we dive in, just to give a brief recap on what sequence of returns risk and how planners might go about addressing the risk. Okay, so different ways to address sequence of return risk is thinking about, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is dynamic spending. So we use guardrails, which is being a little bit flexible in our spending. So when things are not going as well, and knowing when we need to tighten our belt, so to speak, and when things are going really well, knowing when it's okay to spend a little bit more money than we had originally planned, breaking our investment portfolios into buckets. So looking at the next X number of years of spending and in the shorter term, wanting to have more conservative investments in there so that our stocks, our global companies that we own, knowing they're going to have some ups and downs over time, we just don't want to be selling those companies to provide us with income during those earlier years or like kind of near-term years, right? So we want to make sure we have a, a big enough buffer in that defense bucket to get through the market ups and downs, specifically the downs. Planning software, one of the things they've done to really help address sequence of return and give us a better idea of our range of outcomes is uh, what we call a Monte Carlo analysis. And so what that's doing is it's taking, you know, that average rate of return that we might be expecting, but then we're adding some kind of risk factors to it, we'll call it. And what that's doing is then running a bunch of scenarios, whether it's hundreds or thousands of scenarios, where we see all these different sequence of returns and find out, is our plan still going to be successful at the end or what's the percentage chance? And there's some reasons that, I know it's not our favorite way of doing it, but it's definitely good for a starting point to give us a good idea of whether we're going to be on track to be okay in retirement. So those are some of the things we're doing for planning to be okay if we get a bad sequence of return. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of circle back to a little bit more detail or dig in a little bit more to what is the sequence of inflation risk? Sure. So probably the best thing to do is just give some numbers. So, you know, if we look through the 2010s, it looked like there was no inflation. Just low inflation is just the way it was, right? And that's how most planners are running inflation projections as well. And of course, keeping them static, as I mentioned. But if we go back 30 some years, almost 40 years into the 80s, we hit approximately 15% inflation. 2008 and 2009, and even a little bit in 2015, we actually had deflation, meaning the cost of living actually went down for a period there. But for most of the 2010s, though, we had low inflation. And then within the last year, we actually got up to a roughly 9% inflation. So if we just kind of look at that whole time frame. You know, there's some people who have been retired for that entire time frame. So that gives us an idea of the types of fluctuations that are possible. And I know in the for many years I've knew this, you know, well over 10 years now, just everyone's talking about how we don't really need to plan for big inflation. Like that's not a thing anymore. The government of Canada plans to keep it in that two to three percent range. So it's not something we need to worry about. But obviously things happen. And we've seen recently that that's not the case. So obviously the biggest risk is when we get a bad sequence of inflation combined with a bad sequence of returns. Hmm. So it's important to know what these are as a starting point so that we can plan for them. So looking back over the past year or two, it would appear that we've seen these risks are very real. Can you speak to that and give us some insights into how people can plan for sequence of inflation risk? Sure. So, you know, as far as what's happened in the last few years, we had the pandemic, which is obviously something we couldn't plan for 
that led to a bunch of other things. So government spending, central banks spending, lowering interest rates, geopolitical events like Ukraine and Russia, for example, supply chain issues. So there's a lot that's happened. And the first thing I would say there is that none of this is really predictable, which just speaks to the point we can't really outguess the market because even if we have all the information in the world as far as what's going on today and where companies are and what outlooks are, we don't know what we don't know, right? And so there's some good examples there. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of that is what led to inflation. And in 2022, what happened? So last year, we seen you know a pretty tough year for markets, both stocks and bonds. And a big part of that is the fact that inflation was going so high. And so interest rates had to follow. And that's never good for bonds. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much kind of uncertainty around how long it's going to take to get inflation under control and whether interest rates will keep going up or not. You know, that's had a a pretty big impact on stock markets as well. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I guess, a little bit of reflection there to show that these are real risks. These happen, even though sometimes when we're in pretty smooth periods, like a, a good majority of the 2010s, we don't really think about a lot of these and might not be top of mind for planning, right? So how are we actually solving for this? Unfortunately, when we're looking at financial planning softwares, any ones that I know of, especially specifically in Canada, they don't have the ability to have, as I gave you that example earlier, Monte Carlo analysis for investment returns. Mm -hmm. They don't have that same ability for inflation returns. So it's not something that we have the ability to actually kind of model out. Now, another way to do this is we can just look at increasing what inflation numbers are in our planning softwares, right? We could put a higher number in there, but the problem is that we might be overly conservative in a a lot of situations. So it is an option, but maybe not the best option. And something else I want to make sure people kind of gave some thought to is I went back to that article that grabbed a quote out of it. They say, for example, we see that withdrawals from a 25% stock portfolio that have a 90% success rate, and that's using Monte Carlo. So I'll come back to this using fixed inflation have only 72% success with variable inflation. So there is a software in the US that will allow us to model these variability or Monte Carlo inflation scenarios. And so they call that variable inflation. And so what they're saying here is if we don't have that built in and we just look at Monte Carlo analysis, so just looking at what are all the range of outcomes for our stock returns or our portfolio returns, there's a 90% chance of success. But when we build that variability into inflation, so all of a sudden inflation is not static, staying the same the whole time, it's variable, that 90% success rate drops to 72% success. So it's certainly a meaningful difference. Now, on the other hand, we see no difference at all between fixed and variable inflation for withdrawals from a 100% stock portfolio at a 70% success rate. And actually, maybe I'm just going to break that down a little bit more again. Mm-hmm. So Monte Carlo analysis is saying, okay, here's all these scenarios with our portfolio doing all these different things. So we're running that 90% success means that nine out of 10 times, this scenario we're running will be successful through the retirement time period. Now, as we talked about, we'll probably talk about this more in the future. We're building a lot of assumptions into that, right? Like how long someone's going to live what those returns are going to average out to be. So there's a lot of assumptions we're building in there. It's not a foolproof plan, I guess we could say, but it's giving us a a good starting point, a good idea of what that success rate might look like. Mm -hmm. And that's dropping significantly when we only have 25% stocks in the portfolio. But when we have 100% stocks in the portfolio and we're building a little bit more conservative or a little bit lower success rate, I guess you could say, we're actually not seeing the variable inflation have any impact. So what that's telling us is 
I think most importantly, the effect of variable inflation gets smaller as stock allocations increase. So just again, to clarify, some people, this is very obvious. Some people, it's not. Stocks, equities, company ownership. I mean, there are all the different ways you might hear stocks expressed, right? So I just like to clarify that sometimes because mm-hmm. for us, Lindsay, we talk about it every day, but I know a lot of our listeners aren't. Yeah. And so this is really interesting though, because what that's saying is contrary to popular belief of how we should be getting a much more conservative portfolio in retirement, we're actually taking a lot of the variable inflation risk out by having more stocks in our portfolio. And so this is not a recommendation by any means, but it's just showing like something to consider. We don't necessarily just want to default to really low amount of stocks in our portfolio because we think we're retired now. Now, I know I'm talking a lot, Lindsay, without letting you cut in here, (laughs) but... I mean, we've often covered in our retirement risks, we've talked about the risk of being too conservative, which I think is something that you're touching upon, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. So all of this is to kind of set us up for some of the things we can do for planning around this variable inflation. We have a chart and I'm going to see, Lindsay, if I can get that to you for so we can put it in the show notes. It's from David Blanchett. He's a retirement researcher and he's showing the real downside risk of stocks, bonds and cash. And what we see in there is, as anyone would expect, that that one beer period, stocks risk is a lot higher. OK, the, like the risk of stocks. But if we fast forward five years, what we actually see, and this is inflation adjusted, which is really important here. So the inflation adjusted risk, bonds and stocks are actually equal five years out. And if we go two more years, the risk of stocks and cash is actually equal. And anything beyond that seven years, what we see is that the risk of stocks is actually lower. Mm -hmm. So what that's telling us is one of the best ways to plan for inflation is to make sure that we do have stocks in that growth bucket in our portfolio, because that's going to be our best inflation hedge. You know, people talk a lot about having gold as an inflation hedge or other commodities. On the Rational Reminder podcast, they actually talked and did a, a whole segment on inflation hedges, I guess you could say, and they talked about gold. And they basically said, you know, if we can go back 2000 years, gold's a great inflation hedge, but there's 30 year periods where gold underperforms inflation. As long as we can go out like that five years I just talked about, where we get kind of a lower risk than the bonds, lower risk than cash once we get seven years with the stocks, it's because that chart is taking into account inflation and stocks have proven to be a great inflation hedge. Mm-hmm. Also, other considerations for planning, and this kind of comes back to what I talked about a minute ago in the buckets, Lindsay, is having those buckets. Mm-hmm. So we definitely don't want to have 100% stocks because there's just too much variability there. And then that sequence of returns risk, which we were talking about at the start of the show, comes into play big time, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure we're creating buckets where we do have those safer assets for their more shorter term spending, like that five to seven years that we just mentioned. And this is going to be different for everybody because at the end of the day, I could tell you that the downside risk after inflation is less for stocks after seven years. But if you can't get through the ups and downs of those seven years, then it doesn't matter anymore if we're having to sell it stocks because we can't take it from an emotional standpoint because money is emotional. Totally. When we start seeing our retirement accounts bumping up and down, it's not always as easy as I like to make it sound on the show sometimes to stay with it. Mm -hmm. And then the last one that we'll talk about today is the dynamic spending strategies, which I talked about for sequence of return risk. This also is working for the sequence of inflation or the variable inflation, right? Because what it's doing is as we're spending more of the portfolio, whether it's because of higher inflation or because it's a poor early returns, whatever the scenario is, we still have the answer for when do we need to tighten our belt or when can we go ahead and spend more? And there's also some rules in there that 
basically address inflation. Like, when are we increasing for inflation or when are we not in a position to do that? Mm -hmm. So basically, software isn't going to be able to tell us all that, but the rules behind the guardrail or dynamic spending strategy really gives us some outlines, which is more of a plan as opposed to a projection. When this happens, we do that. When this happens, we do that. So that's really how we're trying to plan for that. We're not getting too conservative. We're making sure we have a flexible spending strategy. And we're also keeping our clients invested by having that defense bucket so that they know they can tolerate some ups and downs of the market to keep those stocks there for that inflation hedge over time. So that's a lot to digest there. Any final thoughts to pull it all together for everybody? Yeah, you're right. It is a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess number one, and we talk about this all the time, planning is critical. Making sure we understand that planning is not like a one-time event. We can use softwares, we can put in all these assumptions, but the next day after we put the assumptions in, they're all wrong. So it's really good for getting some clarity up front, but a one and done plan isn't really going to help anybody long term. <laughs> so we want to make sure we have a plan for ongoing updates. So back to that whole, you know, we've talked about this quite a few times, but projections aren't plans, right? <laughs> because they don't tell us when we need to adjust at when we're off track or on track. So we want to make sure if you have a plan, you have a plan for when you need to update. And if you don't have the time to do all the research around all of this, then just work with somebody who specifically works in retirement planning. And that's probably going to be your best bet. Mm -hmm. I think too, planning is not a one and done event. If I could just underscore, I mean, I, I've mentioned now a few times about our, our client reviews coming up, but we do a review with our clients twice a year, right? The planning is ongoing. It's never a one and done event. There's always adjustments to be made and discussions to be had. Yeah, absolutely. And life changes too, right? There's always events we can't plan for. That's right. Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode, and until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.